0: I wonder, do you have a bucket list? Now, one of those things that you have that you would love to do before you die. Anybody have that? Maybe not written down, but you kind of know it in your head. Uh, you know, there are several things that I'd love to see happen before I move on to existence with, uh, with Jesus. I, I'd love to uh, go to the Holy Land, go over to Jerusalem and to be a part of that. I'd love to go to Rome. For some reason, I've always been fascinated with Rome and Italy and would love to do that there's obviously some things church wise we'd love to see happen and some things that I would love to see happen here at this church and I think boy if this could just happen there there are personal things I would love with my family and with Susan and I and our relationship and think boy it'd be great if this could happen or if we could get to this point you know even kind of small um, kind of things that wouldn't matter to other people like you know I've always um, wanted to see a World Series game now you know that comes to mind. because I don't know if you all know I'm a Cardinals fan, and that's happening next week. And so you know, those, those just little things. I I love to be in the stands when Tennessee wins another important game. You know, like happened this weekend. They finally won one. You know, there's small things that we have, big things. Here's what I want you to do. All right, if you've got a sheet of paper, you got an order of service, and you got some place to kind of write place, I want you to write down just real quickly, okay, off the top of your head. This is not something that takes existential thought for. 48 hours, all right? Just two or three things you'd love to see happen, all right? So take it, write it down, take a second to do that. Things that you would love to see happen before you die, okay? I don't hear a lot of people write, and that's all right. You can pretend, I guess. Write it down. It's amazing how quiet it gets in here. You know, Randy, you usually think out loud, though. All right, here's where we are, all right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. So you can write that down kind of as you're thinking about it. I want to tell you where we are because that will have a point later in the sermon, all right? Um, it should have a point later in the sermon. I want to come back to it. But here's the thing. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, and we've been talking over the last few weeks about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, who do you think you are? And we've looked into the book of Ephesians about it. And, and for me, the book of Ephesians, as we get to chapter 3 of this book, feels a little bit... Um, How many of you like roller coasters? Alright? To me, it feels a little bit like a roller coaster. Alright? And my favorite part of being on a roller coaster is just when you finish that first big climb. You know what I'm talking about? And if you're in the front, it's especially great, but even in the middle or in the back, you get to the top and you're just going over the edge And there's that momentary anticipation of the greatness that is coming. Or for some of you, that abject fear that is about to happen. You know what I'm talking about, right? That that moment. How many of you, have you all ridden roller coasters? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So I feel like the book of Ephesians, that Paul has been building and building and building and building and building. And we're moving towards the top. And as we're getting to the very top, we are at that moment when we get to these last few verses in the chapter 3 of Ephesians, where Paul is getting ready to go over the edge and we're about to see the dips and the turns and the loops that come from living a life understanding who we are in Christ. But chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, we're going to read today, is that moment when we are right at the top And about to go over the edge. And Paul, before he gets done, wants to remind them again of something very important to grasp. Each week we've been in Ephesians, we've answered this question, the question of the blank. Uh, Why would you fill in the blank when you say the question, I am? Or how would you fill in that blank? In a statement, how would you say, this is who I am? And we've looked at different ways to answer that all along the way. Paul has given those to us as we've gone through the chapters 1, 2, and the first part of 3. But today, we're going to be reminded of something vitally important when it comes from the Apostle Paul about who we are in Christ. And it is simply this, that of everything else, the most important thing to understand is that I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can proclaim, I am loved. Our world is searching for love. Now, it's like the old country song. Most of the world is looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Okay, anybody want to get up and sing that for us this morning? Okay, good. No, we don't want that. But you know what I mean? They're searching all over the place for love. I mean, uh, adults are looking for love with a relationship, um, uh, teenagers are trying to find it in friendships or in a relationship. Parents look for it from their children. Children look for it from their parents. And what Paul is going to remind the people in Ephesus, the people that are reading this letter, those of us who are here today who are followers of Jesus Christ, we don't ever have to wonder whether or not we are loved because in Christ we are. It is an amazing statement for us. The one thing the world is looking for the most we already have in Christ. Another way you can tell that the world's looking for love is most every song that gets popular on the radio has something to do with love or the pursuit of it. Now, we already have it. Paul starts this whole thing and he says, for this reason, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3, it'll be up on the screen as well, but he starts Ephesians 3.14 with, For this reason, and I stop there for just a moment to remind us: if you were here last week, if you or if you weren't, that in Ephesians chapter three verse one, he says the same thing. For this reason, and Paul is getting ready to say a prayer for the Ephesians, but he gets distracted. anybody here ever get distracted when you start to pray? Like you know, like at night I'll lay down and I'll get ready to pray, dear Jesus, and if sometimes I don't make it past that and I'm out, right? Sometimes I start to pray to Jesus. I just want to pray for for my friend, and oh man, I forgot about that situation. Tomorrow I need to make sure I call them. and I need to put that. Oh, and they were talking to so and so, and they've got something going on. And then 15 minutes later, I'm like, oh wait, let me get back to what I was doing. Anybody else? Support group confession time. All right, we're there, right? We we have that kind of understanding, and sometimes that happens. Here's the good thing: if you ever get distracted when you pray, you are like the apostle Paul. Is that good? That's good, right? Because in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason, and he's about to pray, and then he gets sidetracked for 13 verses. And He comes back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and he says, for this reason. Now, let's think about the reason for a minute. He's talking about everything we've discovered so far. From Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Everything we know. And the simplest way for us to review that is to review what we've talked about over the last few weeks. And so here are the I am statements he's talking about. Because, or for this reason, because I am blessed, because God has given me what I did not deserve, more than I deserve, there is nothing I did to earn it, there is nothing I could do to secure it, but God has given me salvation, and He has taken me and given me all of these things. I am blessed in Him. I am appreciated by God for my work, where I am trying to help His kingdom, where I am trying to live for Him. God appreciates the effort that I put in. I am not saved because of my effort, but my effort is appreciated by God. I'm rescued by him. He has caught me at the exact moment when it looked like I would fail and he has rescued me from that moment. I am reconciled both to God and to my fellow human beings, to you. And all of us are reconciled to one another because of Christ. And then last week it says that I'm a mystery. Now, now most people, when they hear I'm a mystery, they don't think of that as a, a good thing necessarily. But what it meant last week is I am a part of the plan of God that has been unknown for centuries, that has been finally revealed, and God cares. That's some pretty heavy stuff. And he says, because we know that we are blessed, because we know that we are appreciated, because we know that we're rescued, because we know that we're reconciled, because we know we're a part of this grand mystery of God, he goes on to say, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Because of that, I am praying for you. Because we have gone through all of that, and it's a lot of stuff, I'm praying for you. Now, here's the thing I want you to see about the Paul's prayer in this part. Go back to that verse just before that. When he says, I kneel there, that wasn't normal posture for praying in that day. I mean, when you hear prayer and you hear kneeling, okay, that's kind of what we do. But in their day and time, people didn't kneel to pray. In fact, the Bible has very few instances where it talks about people kneeling to pray. Uh, in the New Testament, only three or four times, and it showed a fervency. It showed that it was a passionate prayer. The normal way people prayed back then is they would stand up, sometimes with their hands to the sky, sometimes with their hands like this, sometimes closed, but their eyes were always pointed to heaven and they would talk in this direction as they prayed. Paul, in this situation, when he's writing this book, more than likely is chained to a Roman soldier. He is, uh, If tradition holds, he is in a pit of a prison, barely with enough room to move around. And yet in the midst of that, He cares enough about what he's about to say that he gets on his knees to pray. Kneeling sows submission like you're done. I'm not fighting anymore. I mean, think about it even this way. When when cops go to arrest somebody or they raid a house, when someone gets on their knees and puts their hands behind the head, that means I'm done. Generally, that's the expression. I kneel. Before the father, not just any father, but the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's reminding them that when we go to the father, we're not going to some local deity. We're not going to some other option in the pantheon of options of gods. We are going to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the God from whom everything comes and has everything at his disposal. I go to that father in heaven and on earth His name. He goes on in verse 16. I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through His Spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that He, that God, that Father, the one that has all, may grant you, and there's an important phrase, all right? The the NIV, the New International Version, some of you have that, does not do a good job with this phrase. The, The actual phrase is according to, and that makes a big difference. Some translations say, I pray that God from his wealth will give or from his riches will give. But there's a difference in giving from something and giving according to. The word here means that God would give to you in comparison and relation to the power and the strength and the wealth that he has, that you would get a part of what was representative of him. Think about it this way. I don't know who the richest person in the world is anymore. But Bill Gates still has some money, right? Right? He's got some. A couple of million or a few billion, right? Do y'all remember a few, uh, it's probably still going around, some of you may have it now. Do y'all remember going around on Facebook and all that a little while ago, if you write a certain thing to Bill Gates, he'd send you money? Anybody remember that, right? Read, you know, Share this on your wall, and when you get it done, Bill Gates will send you a check, okay? Let's suppose that were true. It's not, all right? And Some of you are still waiting. You're going to the mailbox every day. Where's my Bill Gates check, all right? It's not coming. Let's suppose that were true. And I went to the mailbox one day, and there was a check in it for $50. Now, that's nice, right? What is $50 to Bill Gates? It's the change under the seats of your car that you don't know are even there. Right? It's nothing. It's, that's, that's from his wealth. That's just, you know, oh, here's $50. Okay? What if I went to the mailbox and there was a check for $2 billion? You know, I mean, not six zeros. Like, nine. That's a different story, right? And that's according to, in relation to, similar to what he owns. Here's this. Paul is praying that God would give to us according to his riches, his wealth, and his glory. That's not small change under the seats that we don't know exist. That is major power and strength and love. And he prays that God would strengthen us. And here's the reason. Paul has just laid on these people who they are in Christ. And it is an overwhelming thing to be found out that you are blessed and reconciled and appreciated. That you have been rescued. And in the midst of that understanding that, you can come overwhelmed with it and not be able to move forward. And Paul prays, I want them to be able to handle the reality of who they are in Christ. I want them to be able to take hold of that which is out there. And in fact, he uses two words for power. What he basically says, I am praying that you would power them with power. Strengthen them with power in the inner man. To be able to handle what's coming before them. One preacher said that it's kind of like a boy who discovers two boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts. And he prays, dear Lord, let my capacity equal my opportunity at the moment. Right? Let me be able to handle the opportunity that is before me. Paul is praying, let these people, let the church, let them understand and be able to handle the opportunity that they have. And I pray that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, something real quick. He's not talking here that Jesus would come into our lives, because if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that has already happened. So he's not trying to set up something where Jesus would come again. What he says here is actually where and that's why I put the word settled down out there. It says the word means to make yourself at home. And I pray that Christ would be able to make himself at home. You ever been somewhere and even though it was nicely appointed and had nice furniture or people you cared about, it just didn't feel like a place you could settle down and relax. I remember, you know, we, Susan and I have lived in the house that we live in now longer than any other place in our entire marriage. Okay? It'll be six years coming up in uh, end of January, February, and we have lived in that house. But I remember the first night, you know, you go in there and you get the bed set up and you get everything taken care of. And as you put everything in there, you realize this is now our house, but it sure didn't feel like a place you could settle down yet. What made it worse is we'd put completely new floors throughout the house. So that meant you couldn't eat or drink anywhere, right? Right? Because you don't wanna you don't want to get anything on that stuff and you know, and couldn't settle. I was thinking about this yesterday. Um we were out of town yesterday, we were visiting some of Susan's uh extended family in paducah kentucky and we were there while the game was going on and it was the kind of event where i I couldn't check the score you know pretty regularly and so i checked it only like every 30 seconds or so um no you couldn't check it real regularly so i just pulled the phone out and see what was going on and i could see that it was going to be a good game and that tennessee had a shot and so as we were driving home um yesterday we got on the road from paducah on i-24 and you know in the When you're driving with four kids in the backseat and you see that GPS say, stay on this road for 162 miles. You're like, oh, great. This is going to be fun. And so you start on the trip. And as you're going, I get the text alert that tells me that Tennessee just beat South Carolina 23-21. And as I'm driving, the only thing on my mind is we got all this stuff to take care of. We'll get everything in. But I'm looking forward to that time tonight when I can sit in that recliner, Get me some Diet Dr. Pepper and chips and dip and relax and watch this game in complete comfort because I know they win, right? And when I got home, after we did some stuff, I settled down. Got comfortable and watched that game. You know the difference between just being somewhere and being comfortable, right? Paul prays that Jesus won't just be a part of your life, won't just be an aspect of your life, but that He would have complete freedom and control and ease in your life. Paul has prayed that God would strengthen us with His power and that Christ would dwell. And then he tells us why. This is amazing. Let me get the rest of verse 17. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, Rooted—that your—it's an agricultural term—that your roots have gone down and have secured what they need to to keep you alive. Established is an architectural or construction term that means that you have a foundation that is solid and strong. And it is in the love of Jesus Christ and your love for other people. I pray that you, having been rooted and firmly established in love, He who prays that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height. And the depth of God's love. I love that word comprehend there. What it actually means is to take hold of. It is to take by force. It is to seize. And what he says is, my prayer is that you will be able to seize hold of. That you will be able to take hold of. That by force you will make a part of your life What is the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of God for you? His central prayer in this whole passage is that we would understand what God's love is for us. His point being, and we're going to see that in just a minute, that once you understand God's love, you begin to move out in the fullness of Christ. And Christ is able to do through you what you cannot ask or think or imagine. But that only comes when we begin to understand How much God loves us. The height and the depth and the length and the width. Now, I've read all kinds of stuff about what people think those four things mean. And they try to put four points on a compass and talk about what it means. I don't think Paul intended for us to do that. I think he just says, I wish you could understand how big it is. It is immeasurable. It is something you can't grasp. You can't get your mind around. It is amazing. I want you to comprehend what that love is. We have a lot of people, a lot of believers in Jesus Christ that walk through their life and they don't live confidently and they don't live assured and they don't live with boldness because they don't have a comprehension that Jesus loves you and will always look out for you. We sing that as a kid, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And the thing is, that's not just a cute little song that sounds cute coming out of a third, fourth grader, two-year-old, three-year-old. It is a biblical truth of epic proportions that if we were to take hold of, grasp, comprehend, would radically change how we live. In fact, Paul says that. He goes on to say that they would comprehend that and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, in the original language it does says, and to know that which cannot be known. But we have to understand that what he's talking about here is not a head knowledge. It is that you would experience love that surpasses knowledge. You realize there are some things in life that you cannot know until you experience. Right? I having a conversation the other day with, with somebody that was um, going to have a baby in the future, and they were talking about reading some books on it. it was their first, so they're reading some books. And there are some good books out there, you know, what to expect when you're expecting, and the baby's first days, and what to expect in the first year, and all that kind of stuff. All right, I, I still remember. Eli had not been born very long. He's our first ten years old now. And he, uh, he used the restroom. And at that particular moment, Susan said, here's your first chance. Now, I had, I had been in a class where they had talked about it. I had seen some things about it. nothing prepares you for that moment. Right, Dads? What they don't tell you is, and I'm going to spoil some of the fun for some of you is and I, I'm not trying to be crass the poop of a newborn like a new newborn, is unlike anything you have ever experienced now, they don't give you that information right all right I' going amen in the house of the Lord today, all right it is different, they call it different it's not it's called meconium doesn't that sound nice? It is not nice, and so as I get into this, I realize it needs to be a tag team effort. And so my father-in-law volunteers to help. Now, from what I can gather from his history, changing diapers was never really a part of what he did. So you got two newbies on the job. And Eli is not cooperating. He is two hours old. He really should be better behaved at this moment. so... I mean, I'll tell you how bad it got. It got so bad that my father-in-law bends down to try to oo and coo with him so he'll settle down, and Eli almost hits him with um, urine, all right? And he, he was not done, apparently. Nothing prepares you for that moment except that moment. Y'all, please don't run and tell Eli. He's getting to that sensitive age. Hey, I heard you almost peed on your grandfather when you are first born, all right? Nothing prepares you except for that experience. What Paul is saying here is I'm not praying that you'll kind of be able to sing a song and you know and you can say God loves me, Jesus loves me. What I'm praying is this, that you would experience the love of God that you can't know, that you would experience that which doesn't make sense in your head. And that when you do that, when you experience it, when you know it, what happens is that the fullness of God comes into your life now now, listen there's a lot of discussion about what that means here's what i think it means the fullness of god in us means that we begin to act talk look think speak like god intends us to speak we become his true representatives on this earth and we are the ambassadors for his kingdom ephesians chapter 4 and following is going to tell us what that looks like But before we get there, Paul says, until you grasp the I am loved statement, you will never be able to live as God intends for you to live. You're no longer living to get the approval of God. You don't have to get His approval. You don't have to get His, I'm okay with that. He loves you. He cares for you. Live boldly and passionately for Him and through Him. So there are a lot of people that think, I know I'm not saved by works. But once I get saved, once I get in church, then I've got to show God how good I can be. God loves you. And it ought to set us free to live boldly for Him. And then you have following this. Once that happens, here's what Paul's saying. Once the fullness of God comes into you, you are going to be used by God in ways that you cannot even imagine. Ephesians 3.20 through 21 is one of my life verses. I absolutely love it. Um, in fact, it was the, the passage, this passage is the passage I preached on when I came in view of a call at this church over six years ago. And, and I love this passage. It's, um, Susan and I have claimed this for our life. It is inscribed on the inside of my wedding ring, this Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do. And then Paul makes up a word that has preposition upon preposition that says God is able. It's like Paul's writing goes, God is able to do. No, 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 no. God is able to do more. No, no. God is able to do um, even more. No, that's not good. God is able to do exceptionally even. No, no. God is able to do exceptionally even more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. Now, here's what gets me, okay? Because I get that. God's able to do whatever He wants to do. God's able to do above and beyond what we can think or ask or imagine. If God can't do above what I can think or imagine, then I'm on the same level as God and He's not a very good God. So I have a problem with the fact that God can do more than we can ask, more than we can think or we can imagine. He's more powerful. He's more beautiful. He's more gracious. He's more loving. He's more holy than anything we can imagine. This is what gets me. He says when you are filled with Christ, then God is able to do above and beyond what we ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. When you grasp, comprehend the greatness of the love of God in your life. God, Christ makes Himself at home. He dwells. He settles down in your life. You grasp what that is like. You know the love of Christ. The height and the width and the length and the depth. When you get all that, and the fullness of Christ begins to live in and through you, God will use you to do things that you can't even imagine. To the glory of His name in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. He wrote down a bucket list earlier, I want you to write over the top of it, not even close. Because whatever you can imagine would be great to see happen in your life, it is not even close to what God intends to do in and through you. If you can think it or you can imagine it, God's got bigger things for you. In fact, if God revealed to you right now what He intended to do with you, some of you would run the other way, scared to death. All he asks and what Paul prays in my prayer is that we would be strengthened to deal with it inside, that we would let Christ make his home and settle down in our midst and that we would be able to comprehend the height, the depth, the length and the width of the love of Christ so that he can fill us with all that he intends to do so that we can see God move in and through us in ways that we can't even think about. It's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? I love how short Paul is with it. I love how Paul just kind of comes to the end. And what it shows is this. Paul had such a powerful prayer life that when it comes time to publicly pray, he just knocks it out real quickly and says, I'm done. But look at the power in the midst of it. It reminds us that prayers don't have to be really long to be really effective. Amen? I heard the story of D.L. Moody. you know who D.L. Moody is? Old school evangelist, like really old time evangelist, right? Late uh, priest in the 1800s. And when he would go to a, a city like Nashville, he would invite local pastors to come and pray during the during the crusade. And the story's told that if a pastor got up and started to pray too long, now I know you can't imagine that, but that sometimes pastors would pray too long, that D.O. Moody would get up in the middle of the prayer and say, I'm going to ask Mr. Sankey, his music guy was Ira Sankey. I'm going to ask Mr. Sankey to come on up and start leading the next song while our pastor friend over here works on his prayer life for a little bit. Ouch. Right? Deal Moody was saying that if you're prayed up in private, you can do like Paul and just kind of let it go short and sweet and to the point. Some of you say, have you learned that about your sermons yet? Because that would be good. Here's the point. I believe that God wants to do amazing things in and through the people in this room. But we have to be people that are willing to let Christ settle down, strengthen us from the inside, and we have to grasp how much God truly loves us. If you're willing to do that, He's going to work in ways that you can't imagine. Let's pray together.